It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. You're listening to C103's Cork Today podcast. Phone and text lines are currently closed. And good morning on what is another beautiful day. It's Wednesday's Cork Today and the good weather is going to continue right across the bank holiday weekend. We'll have more on that across the week. But it's JP until one. Bernie in taking your comments on the phone right now. 0818 103 103. Or you can text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103. You can also contact us via the C103 app. And ahead on this morning's show, a report that was published and launched yesterday by St. Vincent de Paul. This shows the full cost of accessing post-primary education in Ireland. Now, we've heard a lot from parents who have to pay voluntary contributions and they're becoming more costly now. Many families are foregoing essentials to pay for these contributions. We've heard in the past how families are cutting back on the food basket and maybe not getting enough nutritional food products and going for cheaper options so they can afford something like this, like a voluntary contribution that goes to a school. Some are paying from 100 euro to 500 euro when it comes to secondary schools for these contributions. Are you in that bracket? Do you pay a lot for the contributions? And on the other side of that then schools will say well they need these because they're not getting enough funding from the government or from the Department of Education so how many fundraisers do we call out for schools right across the country both primary and secondary so they can meet the demands and the the high cost of bills uh, that are coming to schools by way of electricity bills and more. So discussing that shortly on the programme. Your views are welcome. And also how up to 65,000 dairy cows may have to be culled each year for three years if climate targets for the farming sector are to be met. We're going to chat with the IFA before 11 o'clock on this. Your view is also welcome, in particular from the farming community, on how indeed you view this. Many feel that in some respects is it an attack on the farming community, while others feel the farming and agri-sector need to step up and do something for climate change. Your views are welcome. Here's an Exchange though from the Doyle yesterday between Kerry Independent Deputy Michael Healy Ray and Fina Gales Martin Hayden on this uh, particular topic on culling dairy cows in this country. Say something to the Irish farmers. Say something to the people in rural Ireland. I said this continuously and I get no satisfaction from saying it. Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael have lost rural Ireland. The Greens never had it. 
But you've lost it. And why? Because of the way you continuously you, treat people Time in rural Ireland, and no. in particularly people from the farming sector. People on that side of the House have been part of a narrative for a long time telling farmers something that's not true, the government uh, somehow wanted to take cows off people and we're going to force uh, a call of the national herd. And that's not the case. What was reported today in The Independent is about an options paper. No final policy decision here, but I can reassure you that farmers will be forced to take actions. That's not the case. Options will be open to them uh, and they'll be able to make their own decisions thereafter. It's not the first time this has been raised and that was an exchange between Michael Healy Ray and Fina Gale's Martin Hayden but this was discussed recently uh, towards the end of last year and now it's back for discussion again and why the government say it's due to and down to options and proposals as the discussion keeps raising its head you'd wonder is this something that's going to happen well we will discuss that before 11 this morning and should we redraw our county boundaries in Ireland now this is an idea from a professor in DCU And our counties were drawn up when we were under English rule. But this professor and others often feel some counties are too big and some are too small. Maybe we should merge smaller counties and split the bigger ones or bring in parts of a smaller county into a big county. So, for example, uh, you could have Waterford. Let's take Waterford for an example. Maybe bring in parts of Wexford or Kilkenny or maybe East Cork and create a bigger county. West Cork, a large geographical area that could stand on its own as a county. Uh, But how would all this work then when it comes to politics and indeed our GAA and sport teams who rely hugely on county involvement and people loving uh, the county they come from? So your views are welcome on that. When it comes to road funding here, there's always a big debate on how much Cork gets when it comes to road funding. And then you look at other counties who are much smaller. They get similar, by the way, of funding, but have a smaller road network than us here in Cork. So uh, do we need to look at all of this? And why have four local authorities for four small counties? Maybe have one local authority serving uh, four counties. Anyhow, your views are welcome. Is it time to relook at how we look at our counties and the boundaries for our counties right across the country? And while the sun is out and everybody is enjoying the sunshine, a lot of people suffer from hay fever and allergies at this time of the year. We're going to speak with a pharmacist from Lloyd's Pharmacy. If you've any questions, get them into us across the show. We'll put them uh, to the pharmacist joining us later in the programme. And the meeting is going to be held tonight in Charnival and this is on the increase in heavy good vehicles travelling through the town. We'll hear more about that and why another meeting is being held in Charnival to deal uh, with what is happening there. A lot of tragedy unfortunately over the last number of weeks in that town. And from 12.30, Peter Dowdow, the Irish gardener will join us uh, fresh from the Malahome and Gardens Festival and he'll be offering gardening advice from 12.30 onwards. So your views are welcome. Lines open 0818 103 103 or you can text or WhatsApp 0862-103-103. But you would have seen at this stage the census figures are out and they're showing that over 5 million people uh, were in the state on census night, which took place last April. Uh, but out of this, some interesting stats from the census. We always talk about the lack of broadband in many areas of Cork. Well, it seems now almost 80% of households had a broadband internet connection in 2022. And this was up 71% from 2016. So things must be improving when it comes to the availability of broadband. Uh, but when it comes to citizenship in this country, there's a 
large number of non-Irish citizens now living here. Uh, that has increased uh, from 2016 and they make up 12% of Ireland's resident population and the number of people who recorded dual Irish citizenship, citizenship that has seen a 63% increase from 2016. You'd wonder is that down to Brexit as well and people who are living in the UK now, maybe uh, a lot of people moving to Ireland as well, but uh, are reporting that they are Irish and also uh, another citizenship uh, as well. And people who are moving here becoming Irish citizens. So there's a big factor and a big changes since 2016 uh, when it comes to those who live in this country. But also interesting is when it comes to the age of people living here, uh, the higher population we have here are over 70. But we seem to have a low amount of population when we look at those in the age category of the 30 and 40-year-olds. Now, there could be a number of reasons for this. Uh, many of those commenting on the census figures, the experts, so they're saying uh, that this could be due to immigration because a lot of people would have left during the recession in around 2007 to 2010 and they never returned to Ireland. A lot went to Australia, settled down there, had families and aren't coming back. But then uh, there's another aspect to this. Many people in their 30s and 40s, they're renting and they can't buy a house and they can't see how they can afford to buy a house as prices increase and increase. Uh, we have seen a huge amount of people leaving the east coast of Ireland during the lockdowns and they have moved home or they've moved to the west coast because life is easier and they have some hope of purchasing a home. Uh, many others are just leaving and they're going to other countries to purchase a home. So that could be one of the reasons why we have a low population base in that age category of people in their 30s and indeed their 40s. And when it comes to health, uh, this is interesting because people who reported their general health status as either very good or good, that actually decreased. It fell from 87% to 83% between 2016 and 2022. And something that changed a lot then over the last number of years when we speak about going to work, well, there's more people not going to work, but they are working. They're working from home. And a third of workers have indicated that they worked from home for the last part of their week. So many may go in for the first part of the week and work at home maybe on the Thursday or Friday. And those that are going to work commuting, well, we're all being encouraged to use public transport. Uh, It doesn't seem to be working out. The number of people who drove to work, that has increased by 4% from 2016 to 2022. And there has been a 7% increase, though, on the number of people who cycle to work, uh, but fewer than 4% commute to work by train. So still an issue with public transport. And I would presume that is to do with the availability of public transport in many areas of this country. And Interesting that carers, that there's a large increase in the number of unpaid carers, an increase of 53%. Now, again, when you look at the age categories across the country that are rising and we have a higher population of over 70, this could be one of the reasons for this. And a lot of family members are choosing to care for their older parents, mainly because they can't get uh, carers and, and the lack of carers in the sector. And on a caring subject, but going from the older age group, to the younger age group as well. Childcare is an issue and just under one in three children under the age of 15, they were in childcare in 2022. And the second most common type of childcare was provided by an unpaid relative or family member. And again, a lot of this more than likely due to the cost of childcare. So interesting figures and a lot of information in the census. But if you take an overall look at it, I'm sure you will agree that there is a number of factors and why we have, for example, un- unpaid childcare and your relatives looking after their children. 
the cost of childcare is obvious there. Uh, there's obviously a reason why we have a low population in the 30s and 40 age group. Why? We can't afford to own houses and a lot of people have to or feel they have to leave this country so they can get a better quality of life and own their own home and not be at the mercy of landlords. So uh, it's interesting the, the census stats do make sense when you look at the reasoning behind what we hear on our phones every day. And uh, one other aspect of the census, and this is to do with religion, and it's interesting how that has changed over the years uh, because the proportion of the population who report themselves uh, to be Roman Catholic, that fell by 4% to 69% according to that census. And this obviously going from 2016 to 2022, the number of people with no religion, that increased by 62%. And Church of Ireland's religion, that still remains the second largest in this country, but also uh, growing in numbers includes those from the Orthodox Church and Islam. And, for example, when you look at the Catholic religion on county-by-county basis, Mayo had the highest proportion of Catholics, 80% of Catholics in Mayo, followed by Tipperary, Offaly, Roscommon and Galway. But then, by contrast, Dublin City Council, uh, they recorded the lowest percentage of Catholics at 53%. And then looking at it from a local authority point of view, uh, looking at the those who marked and ticked no religion, well, the majority of those were in Dunleary, Rathdown Council area, uh, also in Dublin City Council, in Wicklow, Cork City Council and in Fingal uh, Council. They had the, the highest amount of people who ticked the no religion. And then the county of Monaghan. Well, Monaghan has the lowest proportion with no religion at just 7%. So some of the stats there religion-wise uh, from the census. Your views are welcome on that. Out of all of that, of course, it means that we have an ageing population and for the government to deal with this, when they look at the figures, they'll have to make a, a stark choice of increasing either the pension age or raising taxes. Economists are warning of this no matter what happens over the next five years, no matter who's in government, it is something they will have to look at when you see the age categories of those we have living in Ireland and then for the future of 10 to 20 years, we're going to have a lot of older people uh, in this country. Despite the fact we have 30s and 40 year olds, a low population base there, we still have high uh, amount of people from 50 plus living in Ireland. And this is something that we deal with a lot on the programme, scams from away from the census for one moment, going and looking at scams. Uh, I don't know how many calls and texts we've got over the last year, at least in particular, the last four to five months regarding this eFlow text scam that is doing the rounds. Well, it seems it could be on the decrease because uh, a huge Garda investigation has identified over 16,000 Irish victims of an organised fraud gang who specialised in websites, in a particular website, uh, to commit these global scams. Uh, these scams were worth more than 115 million euros. And the Garda National Economic Crime Bureau, well, they have been working with multiple global police agencies in the probe into the online fraud shop used to con victims. Now, senior sources say the investigation, the codename for this was Operation Elaborate, and it has led to the identification of over 300 suspects. The majority were based in the UK, and this spoof website which they used, well, it was shut down by law enforcement agencies last year, but they offered criminal tools to allow them to disguise phone calls, and that's something that we have heard of from Gardaí, from this website. You were getting a call, but the number would come up as maybe a friend's number or a, another 
mobile number or indeed they were using numbers uh, from a well-known bank. So you may see the phone number appearing on your phone and when you Google that, it comes up as maybe your own bank or another bank. So you trusted the phone uh, call because it corresponds with what's on the bank's website. But they were spoofing the numbers. And also the big scam, as I mentioned, eFlow, that was part of this spoof website, all involved on that. And so many people got caught, unfortunately, with that eFlow scam. Anyhow, the good news is in the weeks after uh, this arrest operation, the incidence of those so-called phishing calls, uh, they dropped by 90% or so in Ireland. So at least the scam calls are reducing and hopefully those eFlow texts are also reducing. But some good news there uh, that they caught those involved in that global scam. But interesting, if the majority of those running that scam were UK based. Lines open 0818 103 103 or you can text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103. Hello to Ed when I mentioned about those scams and what should be a reduction in some of those scam calls and texts. Well, unfortunately, that eFlow is still doing the rounds because Ed just got one yesterday. So beware that eFlow scam text still doing the rounds and thank you Ed for your WhatsApp on that See Rob Stewart live at the Marquee and live in Marbella on C103 it's your final week to qualify to re to win your way to see Rod Stewart twice with ourselves here at C103 live the marquee on June 21st and then Marbella on July 21st flights a four night stay in a four star luxury hotel in Marbella dinner and indeed drinks at a top restaurant spending money and tickets to experience Rod Stewart in the sun all you've got to do is stay listening because at some point between now and one I will play one of Rod Stewart's greatest hits. When I do so, you text or WhatsApp and you could be in the grand finale, which is on this coming Friday after three o'clock, only here at C103. Court today on C103. Many parents cut back spending on daily essentials so they can afford to pay voluntary contributions to schools. A report published by SVP shows the full cost of accessing post-primary education in Ireland. And Nessan Vaughan, Vice Chair of SVP, joins me this morning. Good morning to you, Nessan. Good morning. I hope you can hear me okay. I can, and thanks for joining us this morning. And many parents understand the needs for these contributions and why schools need them to run at the school, given the high cost of energy bills and more over the last number of years especially. But it's the high level of cost now is forcing many parents to make a choice between paying the school contribution and maybe having a full food shop. Yes, yes, indeed. That's their, one of the findings. Um one of the many findings uh, from from this survey of parents that we we commissioned. Um, It's not that surprising to us based on our visits to families where they're constantly juggling with bills and saying, which one do I need to um, respond to quickly, you know, the quickest. So school contributions is one of those uh, pressing uh, bills that are are pressing demands that are made on parents with limited income. Yeah, and we even spoke to parents last week when we were discussing a different issue and how some reduce their food shopping and they'll go for a less nutritional option and a cheaper option just so they can you know, feed their families for one week and many because they are paying various bills and, and this is one of them. Now, the Department of Education, Nessan, they say that there should be no pressure on schools to force a parent to pay yeah. and the child's place will be secure. But that's not always the case as pressure can be put on parents in not all cases but in some cases absolutely um 
uh, and that that's we know that anecdotally from visits that we make uh, to uh, households and, and talking to families and parents, but also the survey confirms that. In some cases, you know, the, the child is asked about them, or the child maybe is denied some particular service or access to a notebook or a journal or a locker if the parent hasn't paid or the guardian hasn't paid uh, the voluntary, in inverted commas, contribution. Uh, they have all sorts of names. They're not always called that, but uh, that, essentially that's what they are. So, um, yes, uh, the minister does say that nobody is for, should be forced to pay, that they are voluntary. Uh, but we know in practice that is not always the case. And from the school's point of view, they need the money because during the recession and capitation grants, they were reduced for schools. So they're down money from the government. They are. They are. They are down. And that is uh, probably the, the, the biggest uh, fa- factor for, for schools. We're not having a go at schools, of course, uh, although, of course, ch- children should never be penalised. We would accept that. But the capitation grant is a key issue for, for them and in real terms the capitation grant has been has been cut uh, in, in 2010 the rate was 340 345 euro um that's that's a grant per, per student uh, but to keep that real value the 2010 real value and adjusting that for inflation for 2023 our report shows it should be 422 or 33% higher than what, it, than what it is at the moment. So we feel if it was, if it was restored to that level, it would go considerable uh, distance towards addressing the deficits in schools and their, and, their, and their finances and would therefore eliminate the request or go a long way at least to eliminating the request for voluntary uh, contributions. And when it comes to secondary schools, we've had reports from people who are paying, let's say, 100 euros. I've seen in the papers up to 500 euros. Now, I don't know if these contributions are 500 euros, if they're a a public school or a private school, but it is a lot of money. And the majority and roughly what we're hearing uh, from parents this morning, many paying from around 140 to to around 240 to 300 euros. But that's for one child. And every school can be different. But if you've uh, two or three going to a secondary school, you know, that all adds up. Yeah. No, you're, you're right, you're right. Um, the contributions range are from a very low rate of 30 uh, to up to about 550 is what we have found. The average being around 140, and that's across all types of schools. So, but uh, you're, you're, you're also right there. If your parent is more than one child, um, that's quite expensive. And that doesn't, that doesn't, of course, take into account things if children are in transition year and all the extra costs associated with that. Plus, not to mention, of course, uniforms and books and, and all, the, all the various other expenses associated with going to school. And on the uniform issue, some schools have gone down this route whereby you get the crest and you can sew on the crest yourself. Others still will give you a list of where you can yeah. purchase the uniform. And that is adding more cost on parents. That hasn't changed in every school. And, and there's a push on just to give the parents the crest that they wish to sew it on rather than the huge expense of purchasing a jumper, which you know you can get in other stores for a cheaper option. Yes, that's right. And this, that, that issue was raised several years ago in the department had advise, I don't know if it's an instruction, but certainly advise schools to, to you know, to introduce some g- generic type forms, you know, jumpers and trousers and, uh, uh, you know, without, and jumpers without the, without the crest and that the crest, as you said, could be sewn on. But that is not applied across the board. By no means it's not, it's not applied across the board. So we find ourselves often plugging the gap there for, for uh, parents uh, when uh, at the back to school uh, time. Um, while 
you know, there is the back to school allowance for those people who qualify. It doesn't, in most cases, it doesn't meet the full costs, of course, and they come to the Society of St. Vincent de Paul for, for assistance. Of course, we like uh, the bottom line is no child should be penalised, no child should be felt, should feel, they may feel excluded or be less able to participate in school and in all, you know, in all the various school activities as well, getting back to the, the, the voluntary contributions and transition year activities. And as you mentioned, extra school activities, I mean, you, you will pay the contribution, but if there's something else happening outside of the classroom, this also involves a cost of parents are, are going to be forking out the contribution and then maybe another 20 or 30 euros if they have to go on a, a field trip or if they're doing something in connection with, as you mentioned, transition year or something else. Uh, Ginny is in contact because her son goes to a school and they use iPads for learning. They're going away from the uh, traditional uh, method and they're using iPads, yeah. but it's the cost of yeah. the iPad she says and then once you get the iPad you have to download various apps after that and you must pay for those apps that's so there's right. a constant cost that's right yeah yeah yes that's correct yeah we have found that too um yeah I can see why they might go down the, the iPad route and no, nothing against that but the initial was quite high we we try to help families in in, in that area too because we like we know the value of education we know Education is the most effective route out of poverty and is transformative in many cases. So so we, we, we try to support families as best we can. But of course, at the same time, we call on the state to really move towards making education truly free. But as we know from this and from parents that are contacting us this morning, while education is supposed to be free in this country, uh, because of what they've done over the years, because uh, capitation grants were reduced for schools, schools now to pay the bills have to charge those who were coming in by way of uh, voluntary contributions. But that is simply to have a day-to-day cost scheme for the school to run the school. Uh, but also, we often call out here in our, our community dairy schools that are running fundraisers just so they can pay for extra demands put on the school. So that isn't right either. So when we say it, the school and the, the, the need for an education takes people out of poverty, it's those who are struggling are unable to pay for these. And you're kind of going around in a circle then, aren't you, Nesson? Yes, 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 we are. We, yeah, we, we are. You know, we, we do welcome, um, you know, some recent moves, so Particularly, um, the provision of the announcement around the provision of um, free, free, you know, free books in primary schools. Mm. That that is to be welcomed. We have advocated that for a long time. Of course, we now will urge government to move to roll that out to um, secondary school, and we'll also welcome the move towards the provision of uh, hot meals schools uh, as well. So there are some some uh, recent announcements that are, are to be welcomed. Um, but we, you know, we really, you know, should have a vision where, where, where education is for all children, irrespective of means. Okay, Nesson, we will leave it there. And thanks for joining us this morning. An interesting research that you carried out there yesterday. Nesson Vaughan, who's vice chair of St. Vincent de Paul. Your views are welcome. On average, how much do you pay for your school contribution? Be that with secondary school or indeed be it with primary school. Your views are welcome on 0818103103. Or you can text or WhatsApp 0862103103. Court today on C103. 
Up to 65,000 dairy cows may have to be culled each year for three years if climate targets for the farming sector are to be met. Now, these figures were obtained by the Farming Independent, and I'll be joined by the IFA, uh, IFA shortly on this. But I spoke uh, with the Minister for Agriculture, Charlie McConnellogue, towards the end of last year on this proposal that it was at the time. And he ruled out any cull or any decision of a cull uh, would be down to the government if this was to happen. Now, when we I spoke to him at the time. This was in relation to beef and dairy farmers. But this is part of the conversation that we had then. And if that proposal now is going to government, you're saying the government won't implement that part of it regarding reducing the herd? No, well, well, well to be clear... Just now, to be clear on it, because there's a lot of yeah, confusion. To be clear, the Climate Action Council didn't say that we had to reduce the herd. It, it put forward various scenarios. Um, for and one of those scenarios was about methane and that would and lead back to reducing w- the herd numbers. One of, the, one of those scenarios they put forward was one which would, leave, which would uh, be that we should cut the herd. One of those scenarios. But it will be the government that will set the course in this and the government will the, that will decide on what the scenario will be. So it does seem it will be a government decision uh, from that conversation with the Agricultural Minister Charlie McConnell towards the end of last year. Well, Stephen Arthur's chair of the IFA Dairy Commission, he joins me this morning. Good morning to you, Stephen. Good morning, John Paul. How are you? I'm fine and thanks for joining us. So it will be the government who will decide. We've heard that as well yesterday in exchanges in the Doyle. So are you in favour if a compensation package is an offer to dairy farmers? Well, firstly, there, when you go back to the the Dairy Food Vision, this conversation came up in the Dairy Food Vision that there would be um, one of the the tools that they're introducing or hoping to bring forward was a voluntary reduction scheme for cows, for people who wanted to voluntarily reduce their cows. Now, it's very disappointing to to open the paper yesterday morning and read the full blow-for-blow, detailed detail of a proposed scheme that hasn't even been discussed or proposed or, or, or even gone through with any farmer or farm organisation or even any of the stakeholders in the food vision industry included. And I think it, 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 it's so disappointing, disrespectful to farmers who are doing a very good job producing milk in this country very efficiently and delivered for the country, putting six and a half billion euros worth of revenue through our, our coffers to turn around and, and propose this in, in on the front page of the paper. It just galls me now to say the respect the government has for dairy farming. As because this document was not leaked, but they got their hands on it. It does show that this is more or less what they are thinking, the way they want to go yes. down w- with the farming community. And do you think if there was this type of voluntary scheme that they mentioned in this document, will farmers take up that offer? Listen, I, I, think, I think there is a market for something like this for a certain cohort of farmers. But you also have to remember, right, there's two things that needs to happen here. First and foremost, it needs to be adequately funded and it has to be public funded, come from the public purse. But secondly, there has to be some kind of an element to get young farmers into farming, into dairy farming in particular. Because when you look at the average age, you talk to the co-op there and you ask, the first question you always ask, what's the average age of your supplier? And it's varying somewhere between 58 and 61 years of age. So you put another half generation onto that, you're going to have a lot of farmers on the wrong side of 60 years of age. So we need to get young people coming through. We need to get young people who are trained and, they, you know, they accept it's a part of their mental now of all these new measures. They understand these things and they're ready to carry on. Like you go to a farmer who's 58 or 9 or 60 years of age and he's farming away and he's maybe has no succession plan or something like that 
and you say, right, listen, here's all these new measures coming. We need to do X, Y, and Z. You need to qualify for this, that, the other. They would say, here, listen, I'm out of here. I want to get out. I've done enough of this. The other thing is that's out there, you have a lot of farmers who are under serious pressure on the, the nitrates. Don't forget the nitrates is, is biting away in the background. It's having a serious um, impact on, on farming families, especially on the medium-sized farm. And especially in your county there, and going to West Cork, like the, the impact nitrates is having is, is, is fierce hard on farms. who are doing a fantastic job on the land bases they have, and it's going to take the cows off the farm like. And as you mentioned, Nitrace, there is a lot of people bringing and bringing that up on our phones and text this morning. And also, as you touched there on those farmers who have no successor, it may suit someone in that age group who feels that the industry itself maybe is under threat, but also that they have, it's their time to bow out from farming if no son or daughter is going to take over the farm. But uh, many farmers would have expanded over the years and expanded in dairy farming alone. And that was mentioned about 10 or 15 years ago, was encouraged, some would say, by the government. Oh. What about those? Yeah, but they they need to be able to have a moderate broke going forward. Like mm. the, the whole idea is to get something. Like I, I I have a fear now, right? That when we were discussing this in Food Vision, the the the, the, the detail, like what we seen on the papers yesterday, was a big headline, right? What I am really worried about is the detail, and the detail. Don't cut yourself. Like this is the takeout cows reduce the dairy herd in the country. That's the bottom line of this. That's the bottom line of this, like. And if you look at the detail of policy that's coming through the government parties there at the minute, it's it's not... Regeneration doesn't even come into the factor here. It's just about taking out the cows. Like, you take cows there in Cork, like Cork is delivering, I think it's around 2.6 or 2.7 billion. That's what the milk check has worked to Cork County. And you take out a cut of what they're proposing, it would build two children's hospitals. That's the amount of money you're talking about here. Yeah, it's a huge that, amount of money. Huge. And that's coming, that's coming out of every little, that goes all, that seeps the whole way down into every little community in the country, every parish, every GA club, every hurling club in the country. That's how far that milk check seeps down into the countryside. Yeah, it bounces in other areas of the economy in a local rural village or town. It's not just going to the farming community. It's spent yeah, in co-ops, yeah. spent everything, in local yeah. shops and everything. Yeah. yeah. And it's two and a half times spent like and, and it stays within five or six miles where it's, where it's, where it's spent. It's, uh, you know what I'm trying to say to you when it comes to a farm that's spent within five, six, seven miles of where the farm is like. Yeah, because a farm is obviously enough going to be in a rural area so the nearest town could be 10, 12 miles away or yeah. the nearest village could be five miles away so there is a huge yeah. impact but in the document I was reading yesterday it did say that farmers could diversify into other areas of farming and they gave an example of maybe into sheep production but that's not possible for all no. farmers or, or is it? Uh, listen, this, uh, this, uh, like, I think this is crazy stuff now. You know, you mm. have a green minister telling us, give up cows. It's the only show in town. If you want to rear your family, educate your family on a small land base, cows is the only thing that does it. Like, you take uh, the average farm. Like, people forget, like, we we'd recent conversations with green TDs, and two of them said to us, the average dairy herd in the country is 300 cows. We said, no, 85% of the milk in the country is supplied by hares under 100 cows. And the average farm size, what's the 41 hectares like? 
So you like you wouldn't do a whole lot of dry stock farming in forty one hectares like. Ninety five percent of the dairy farmers in the country are full time farmers. Ninety percent of the livestock farmers in the country are part time farmers. I have a lot of uh, texts and WhatsApps coming in uh, and they feel this might be ironic that we're discussing this because we spoke about the cutting back of the beef sector in this country last year and in 2021. And if you look at the Brazilian beef imports, they were up in 2022 yeah. right across Europe. But if this is all being done for climate change, as they're saying it is all to do and being done for climate, you have to ask then how feasible is this, Stephen? Because if you're bringing beef from Brazil to Europe, that has been transported either by plane or by boat so there's the economic and indeed the climate uh, disadvantage if you're transporting that far away from you know South America to Europe so when they're talking about cutting dairy cows is this just simply down to box ticking? Yeah well I, I, I don't know like I just think it's politics in this country we have an element of our government that have a mindset here, they've ideals, but they've no economic policy. And, you know, it's very easy, it's cheap talk to hop up and say, right, the, way, the best way to solve this is cut the dairy herd, or cut the, the, the national herd. And it's like, if we got rid of every cow in Ireland, and we got rid of every rumen animal off this island, it's going to do more damage to the environment than if we held what cows we have. Because what happened is, exactly what you said, the Brazilians will just chop down more forestry and put in more cattle. The Argentinians will just bang up more. The, and the, the, the non-efficient parts of the world will just push on. Look what's going on in America there. They follow the, the price, right? So at the moment, they're having the largest cull of dairy cows they've had in about 20 years over there. And if that turned in the morning, they would just increase by 20, 30, 40% more cows, bomb out more milk, get rid of them, push in, push out. Their their environmental uh, credentials is zero compared to what we have over here. And Stephen, you're a farmer and every sector has to play their part. Do you think it's unfair that they continue to target the farming community in the ways they are doing so, maybe in unrealistic ways? Definitely, like, sure. You know, it's very hard not to feel aggrieved as a farmer at the moment. Like, we listen to the media and people hop up and they make these statements like I seen one of our, our, our government ministers the other day said that, you know, you can twist statistics anyway to sue and you're saying that agriculture is only participating 1% of our GDP, I think, like which is a crazy figure to come out with when you, when you go to the GOP, isn't it? We're a lot higher. We're putting in a lot more money. I think it suits, it suits a cohort of, of, of or an element of our government to throw the weight back on the, on the, on the agriculture sector Energy, look at our energy for, you know, here we are, we stopped producing peace in this country and we're drawing in um, pellets from Brazil to burn in, in our, in our, in our uh, generating factories. We're still using oil to generate electricity and we are producing milk. We're the best in Europe, most efficient at producing milk and we're in the top three or four in the world at producing milk. We're the best at what we do. And the UN Charter says that food production should be left to those who can produce it the best, like. We seem yeah. to be hell-bent and, and, and shutting us down, like. Yeah, and that's why I say you would wonder while 
is it some type of box ticking might be the wrong word but if we're importing something far away into this country does that not get reported on then because we have let's say reduced the herd but we are still bringing in the goods but because we've reduced the herd we've ticked that box we've reduced our national number which will make us look better to Europe in the climate change uh, situation but yet we are still importing stuff from other countries but maybe that doesn't come into the same category or that goes into a different box so it's not noted so you wonder is it all being done just for uh, as uh, for politics in a way, but to make Ireland look good? Well, sure. I think it's how we're selling Ireland. Like, mm. Ireland is an agriculture country. Like, everybody keeps saying how brilliant we are at services, how brilliant we are with pharmaceuticals. Like, pharmaceuticals, right? Comes in in three boxes and goes out in one box, and all the money leaves the country. Like, you heard your local minister, Simon Coveney, saying that the money coming out of agriculture is worth two and a half times what's coming out of pharmaceuticals or heavy industry. He made some comment to that effect. And, like, everybody's saying how brilliant we are at um, services seems to be the big thing. Like, services use so much energy and employ very little people. Like, you look at agriculture, the amount of people that's employed, either direct or indirect, the amount of money that's left in the communities, either direct or indirect, like, you take farmers out of the community, you're going to have a very, very scarce rural Ireland. And the problem I have with all this, and listen to their policies and, and talking to the people who are making the policies, I'm starting to wonder, do they not want to, do they not understand it or do they don't want to understand it? Now, that's where I am in my thinking, and I'm starting to think that they don't want to hear it or they don't want to understand it. They have an agenda and they seem to be hell-bent and pushing that agenda. Well, we'll wait and see what happens. The government are saying it's a proposal and a policy at the moment, but a lot, as you said, was mentioned in that document for the moment, Stephen. It's more uh, than a policy. Now, yeah. <laughs> it does from that document. We're, we've, we've we're, we're in on the 16th of June. We've been recalled. I still on the food, the dairy food vision and with, with, with the other stakeholders and we're back in on the 16th of June. So it, it's very disappointing now to see that banging around yesterday when we're only going in on the 16th of June to discuss the next steps here like well, and I'm sure you'll raise that with them on why they more or less have everything done and dusted before you got into them for the moment Stephen I must leave it there and head to news but thanks for joining us this morning on the programme it is something we'll go back to over the next number of months I'm sure Thank you very much. Thank you. Take care. Stephen Arthur there, who is chair of the IFA Dairy Committee. A lot of views on this. Yours are welcome. You can call Bernie 0818 103 103 or indeed text or WhatsApp 086 2103 103. Joe says this is a slap in the face to other farming sectors, giving €3,000 per cow to dairy farmers to cull cows. What are the government and some of our self-centred farming unions doing for the tillage and sheep sectors? Plus, you have the phase out of the nitrates derogation. This is the first step to deal with many dairy cows on our land, says Joe. Uh, while Breda is saying, don't expect the Irish taxpayers to bail out the dairy sector. Uh, she says they can raise uh, their own 600 million euros a year by putting a levy on milk supplies to the co-ops. And Mike is making a point, something that was said by the MEP Kieran Cuff when he said he wasn't far off the mark when he cautioned the banks a few years ago with all the money that the banks were pumping into young dairy farmers to expand and expand. And Mike says look at the mess we are in now with 2030 only around the corner. You can always uh, get in contact with us on the C103 app if you don't have the app you can download that now from the App Store. See Rob Stewart live at the Marquee and live in Marbella on C103. 
It's your final week to qualify to see Rod Stewart twice with ourselves here at C103. Hello, Aoife Hurley in Bandon. Hello, Aoife. Hi, John Paul. How are you? I'm fine. Are you a Rod Stewart fan? I am, but I'll tell you there's actually a story. It's actually my mum, Teresa, is a massive Rod fan. Is she? What's your mum's name? Teresa Hurley. Teresa. And has she or have you been to see him before? I haven't, but she'd love to go see him. Oh, so if you win on Friday after three o'clock, you'd obviously, I presume, have to bring your mum. I would, yeah. It's actually actually going to be celebrating a big birthday now in August. And my dad actually retired from work, so it'd be a great surprise for them. So you'd send them maybe off to Marbella to enjoy Rod in the sunshine? I would, yeah. Oh, well, that would be fantastic. Well, to qualify, Aoife, we have to uh, ask you a question. If you get the correct question, then, well, you could be in the draw for Friday after three o'clock with Nick Richards in the afternoon. So listen up, Aoife, here oh, is God. today's question. In 1995, Rod Stewart released an album called A, A Spanner in the Works, or B, A Spanner in the Car. I'm going to go with A, A Spanner in the Works. You are correct, Aoife. So you are in the draw. You're qualified. It's Friday after three. Someone will be heading away and seeing, first of all, Rod Stewart live at the Marquee. And then a month later, on July 21st, heading to Marbella, where they could win. Could be you, could be Tracy, your mum, and maybe your dad, or maybe yourself and Teresa, whoever decides <laughs> to go. You could win yourself flights. A four-night stay in a four-star luxury hotel in Marbella. Dinner and drinks in a top restaurant. Spending money and tickets to experience the man himself, Rod Stewart. Uh, so, fingers crossed for you, Aoife. Thanks very much, John Paul. Fingers crossed. Thank you. And will you wish our ma'am a very early happy birthday in advance anyhow? Thank you. <laughs> Take Bye, care, Aoife. Bye-bye. That is Aoife Hurley there from Bandon who has qualified and will know who will be uh, heading off to the Marquis and Marbella. Uh, the big draw made on Friday afternoon coming uh, with the Nick Richards in the afternoon. Stay listening to C103 for more greatest hits from Rod Stewart because Nick Richards will be playing them as will Martina O'Donoghue from 4 on Drive when you hear a Rod Stewart song text or WhatsApp in for your chance to win and get in the grand final this Friday afternoon only here at C103 what a fantastic prize and best of luck to all involved there now a lot of calls and comments in on various issues but still to come this morning on Cork Today we will be asking should we be redrawing our county boundaries in Ireland and this is coming from a professor in DC you and basically the counties we know today like the likes of County Cork County Kerry County Clare well the the drawings of these counties was all done when Ireland was under English rule but this professor and others often feel some counties are too small some are too big so is it time to merge smaller counties together or maybe split the bigger ones or just simply change the administration and have one local council responsible for four counties anyhow we'll be discussing that uh, very shortly on the programme with a professor Professor Ona Mali from DCU and also uh, before midday if you suffer from hay fever we'll be joined by a pharmacist from Lloyd's Pharmacy with advice on allergies and indeed what you can do to improve or maybe uh, get rid of some of the symptoms anyhow that you may be suffering when it comes to hay fever. That's all in the way but a lot of calls and comments just uh, going back to a conversation we had before 11 o'clock and this was to do uh, with a cull in our dairy herd that could happen uh, in the next three years for three years and this is due 
due to the climate change that we are facing worldwide, but for the farming sector to meet climate targets. Well, on this, a lot of people are reacting and uh, I suppose are questioning the reason for this. First of all, a texter says the proposal to reduce our dairy herds by 200k over three years. This is a disgrace, says this person. When all those cows are culled, where then will the milk from them cows come from? Another country will just step in and increase their production, leaving Ireland being the losers once again. It's time for people to wake up and see that cows are not the problem, says that person on text. While John says this is like going back in time to the sugar industry. The same thing happened here. We closed our sugar industry in this country and now we are importing sugar to Ireland. But how is this good for the environment when you have ships or planes bringing sugar into Ireland? If we were producing our own sugar here, there would be no need for importation, which then would reduce our carbon footprint. Good point, John, on text to 0862103103. Another person making a point similar to John, but this, uh, they're looking at the wood chip that has been brought in from America. They're saying it's similar to this. The Brazilians are clearing rainforests to feed cattle. You'll never make a livelihood from sheep if they want farmers to diversify from the dairy sector into the sheep sector. And this person feels that this proposal goes ahead. It's only a proposal at the moment. If it does go ahead, well, Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael will be hard hit in the next election. Uh, also, a texter here is saying the call of dairy cows, how many jobs will be lost? While at the same time, there's no plain grounded effectively exporting your jobs does not make sense to us working in the dairy sector. And Stephen Arthur from the IFA touched on that on the money that is spent locally in a local town or indeed a local village from the farming community. Uh, but you make a good point there when you say it's targeting the farming community and no planes grounded. A number of texts and asking the same. Mike, one of them saying, what about the planes? No cutbacks there. And we see their fuel in the sky every day. And also Councillor Dickon Hurley has been in contact with us regarding this and he feels the calling of the National Cow Herd well it can't come at the cost of the small rural family farms says Declan uh, Declan says family farms have invested heavily over the years to comply with regulations and need their 60 or 70 cows to meet repayments and make a living the banding regulations currently put in place is really an indirect calling plan it will put farm families out of business because they can't survive on top of falling milk prices uh, says Councillor Declan Hurley on WhatsApp to us and somebody else says we need to take example from the Netherlands farmers are the backbone of this country we are a small country but it's shameful on what is being done some of your calls and comments in relation to the farming sector that we spoke about on the culling of dairy cows which is proposed in documents that were published yesterday in the Farming Independent and as many farmers that have been in contact with us and indeed uh, Stephen Arthur who's uh, from the, uh, the chair of the Dairy Commission of the IFA, he has said openly that while they're going in on the 16th of June to meet those in government and in those committees, the Food Committee being one of them, to discuss this proposal and this idea, it seems they already have it marked out as this document was published, but the Independent got their hands on it. So while there's meetings about what could be done, uh, is this already a done deal in the eyes of those who run the country? Our lines are open 0818103103 or indeed text or WhatsApp 0862103103. And something we're discussing very shortly, this is to do uh, with the county boundaries. 
a number of people first of all somebody asking is it April Fool's no it's not and this isn't something that is going ahead or even a proposal but it's something that uh, many people who contact us over the years when it comes to road funding uh, when they see what Cork receives with regards to road funding and it's a story again I think is making the headlines today on, on the funding we get from national government for our roads here in Cork but then when you look at other smaller counties and the amount of money they get for their roads even though they have less road in their county uh, they may get similar money-wise to Cork and uh, obviously that's not fair and people are uh, giving out about this for God a long time 10, 20 years at this stage Uh, so because of that is a time to look at our county boundaries and maybe maybe just have one local authority for four counties and distribute the money for roads in a more fairer way across the country. That is one of the reasons we're discussing that this morning. But also in relation to this, a person on a text says, leave the counties alone, leave them all as they are. It's the government's job to allocate the monies to each county and judge the size of the county regards to what they give. They are not simply doing the job they are elected to do. And if this goes ahead, they are just passing the buck again. And that's a good point. I mean, you would think when they are looking at the counties, they will be uh, looking at the, the the mileage of roads that is across a various county, but that does not seem to be the way or case in some regards. Anyhow, uh, anyhow, your views are welcome on that. We'll discuss that next. And also, uh, later in the programme, if you're living in the Charnival area, if you commute via the Charnival area, uh, there is going to be a meeting tonight uh, due to the high amount of uh, HGVs which are going through the town at the moment. Uh, they've increased over the last year or two and due to the tragic circumstances that have happened over the last number of weeks, another meeting has been held to see what exactly can be done uh, for the town. Not too sure what can be done when road basically is needed, but it's not going to happen overnight. So your views also welcome on that. C103 Jobs. A qualified electrician is wanted to work in Mallow. You can email your CV to jobs at epswater.com or phone them on 022 31200. Drivers are required at Dermacasey Plant Tire with a C1 licence essential. You can email your details to jobs at dermacasey.com. And carpenters are wanted in Clonakilty. You must have your own tools and experience. Send your CV to jobs at hamiltonfrench.com. You'll find these details and more job opportunities they're online right now just go to c103.ie forward slash job you're listening to c103's cork today podcast phone and text lines are currently closed call patricia with your comment 0818 103 103 can you talk to me cork today on c103 there are calls to redraw county boundaries in ireland some counties are too small to provide the services they need while others are too large professor of politics at dcu owen o'malley joins me good morning to you owen morning the county boundaries were drawn up when the country was under English rules. So do you feel we're still too attached to, to that system? They're, they're not an Irish entity as such. So the county boundaries that we have are ones that were kind of delivered over the course of about five or six centuries from kind of 1200 on. Uh, and I, there was really no attachment to the county boundaries, probably until the GAA uh, started to use them as the basis for their competitions. There had been some kind of political organisations had had also used it because the constituencies were also based on counties. But there's no ancient or logical reason why the counties are where they are. There probably was about kind of, you know, 
dividing up the country to give land to various different uh, lordships. Uh, and so they don't, they probably don't work as well as they could. You know, you have some places like Cork, which are, are huge. Uh, and I mean, West Cork and East Cork are all kind of different places in, you know, physically, geographically, they, they look different. Now, it is true that people in West Cork and people in East Cork, uh, even though they may not have all the sort of not everything in common, they will all f- feel an attachment to Cork. But that's probably because the GAA introduced uh, introduced uh, the county boundaries as a competition. But I would kind of argue that, you know, somewhere like the Beira Peninsula, even though it's technically in Cork, it looks and feels to me more like South Kerry than, than Cork. And so I wonder, would we be better off going to older uh, regional divisions that might make it easier for the cities and uh, counties and areas to deliver the kind of services that they might want to that that people need in in their areas and when you mention west cork and east cork there it's a debate that comes up quite a lot when it comes to road funding for cork and cork not getting its fair share and some would say well you say some of, of west cork could become south kerry for example in the bearer area you, you touched on there many say west cork itself it's standalone name wise maybe west cork could be its own county and then others uh, feel that east cork is so close to waterford it could join up with waterford so there's a different kind of thinking uh, just alone in cork as well over the years when this debate does arise. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and people probably on the ground in Cork would know would know better than me. And so, yeah, I mean, maybe Waterford, you know, Waterford was in the past known as the Waterford-Wexford, probably East Cork area would have been known as Dacia. Now, Dacia is now just given to Waterford. But it's, I mean, you can see with somewhere like Waterford, it's right up against uh, the river at, and the city is right up against the river and kind of over the river is Kilkenny, which is really constraining the development of Waterford City. So it might make more sense. And as you say, West Cork probably is a place in itself. Uh, it probably has an identity of its own and and uh, that might make it, a, a, and it's certainly large enough uh, geographically to be a, a standalone uh, county. And so it, those things might be something that should be uh, should be looked at in terms of t- the delivery of of the services and maybe the allocation of funding because i'm sure uh, as everywhere there's a sense that the city will look after itself and uh, neglect uh, more rural areas uh, in in any county on the politics side of things, uh, a lot of councils across the country here in Ireland, but merging smaller counties, we get a lot of calls from people who feel uh, some of the counties like Cavan or Monaghan or Leash or even Kildare, that if they were merged together, their councils would deliver better services under one council rather than maybe four counties and four councils all then costing the state. Yeah, so I mean, you do, you have an issue. I mean, Leitrim County Council is a, is a good example where it's very, very small and it can't deliver certain services, you know, because it just doesn't have enough people to do the sorts of things that a large council like Dublin would. Now, if you were to go back to, say, the ancient uh, Gaelic uh, regions, you could see that parts of Monaghan, Cavan and Leitrim 
would be geographically quite similar. They were they were known uh, under the name Brefni, and they might then be as a as a larger group. It would probably be able to deliver a council like Brefni County Council would be able to deliver uh, those services better than say Leitrim County Council can do on it on its own. For the likes of Dublin, which is a growing city, continuously growing. I mean, bringing in people are living in Wicklow and Meath and other outer areas to uh, commute and work in Dublin. Uh, would there be a, a meaningful debate uh, and, and structure wise to look at Dublin expanding into those counties? It might. I mean, you can already see if you go to somewhere like Drada. Uh, you can see that there's a lot of kids on the street are wearing Dublin jerseys and the same is true of, say, parts of East Mead. Uh, and so it probably may, a lot of people there identify as being in Dublin. They feel as if they are in Dublin City. And so the expansion to allow the expansion into those places probably would make uh, some sense. And it's I mean, and again, it's something that happens in Waterford, where the city goes over into to Kilkenny, where I'm from uh, in Limerick, we were right over on the Clare border and there were people living in Clare, but they kind of regarded themselves as part of Limerick City. But because of the county boundaries, it meant that Limerick City can't really expand in the way that it should uh, and would want to. And so these are things that all over the place we have. And I mean, as you point out, you know, the West Cork, East Cork divide is, uh, is one that probably needs to be addressed as well and coming under one single council big huge county council may not be ideal and you mentioned the GA jerseys there in Drogheda. Well, it's something that a lot of people will align to if on especially county final day or indeed an All-Ireland final day. It's their county and they're proud of their county. They're proud where they come from. And GA is a huge involvement in that, as is soccer and other sports. But it's the passion that people have for their county. You know, the county colours, the jersey, the flags flying on match days. If anything was to change, it would be a huge uptake in on all sports. I mean, GA, probably the most dominant in the country but other sports would have to follow on if there was ever to be a change yeah i mean i don't think it could probably the change could happen unless the gaa were to try and drive it and i mean so currently and you could argue that a lot of the ga competitions are pretty uncompetitive uh and that there are a kind of small number of counties dominating both uh either code and you know somebody from Cavan or from Leitrim or even Sligo, you know, they feel they'll never have a chance of of winning an All-Ireland, realistically have a chance of winning an All-Ireland. Maybe some of these amalgamated uh, counties back into bigger regions, maybe if Waterford and Wexford and East Cork were together under data, uh, you'd have people from those counties able to aspire to winning All-Irelands again. Yeah, I'd love to know if people in Yall will be shouting <laughs> for the data, but we'll have to wait and see <laughs> if that would ever happen. And elections, we've had a lot of changes here in Cork alone when it comes to boundaries for elections. Some would see that as a problem for them, especially candidates, so when there is changes and if there was to be county changes, others would be happy if there was a change to come down the line regarding county boundaries. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's something that, again, people are really strongly identified with their counties. And so they'll, they'll probably vote across party lines quicker than they'll vote across county lines, uh, which you know, is saying something, I suppose, about the attachment to, to the counties. The, I mean, with the new census that came out, 
we'll, we're going to see an increase in the number of seats in the, in every constituency, and it should make it easier to hold on to some of the existing ones. But inevitably, what you do, see, you will see, you know, places move. And I mean, in in Dublin, you know, I've I've seen a constituency here, my local constituency, where you know a street has moved, and it might move a couple of thousand people into a different constituency, which can be a disaster for a, a single candidate. But probably the whole it doesn't make that much difference to the parties overall. But it, it they do matter. They matter probably a lot more to candidates. It's also, I suppose, a little confusing for people if they kind of always think that oh, I I live in uh, Cork North uh, Central and then suddenly you've been moved uh, it somehow because of a, of a slight change in the boundary. So people don't generally like the constituencies changing. And so, there, I mean, there's, there is some argument to have kind of more fixed constituencies, whether they're on the basis of county lines or not. Uh, fixing them at least will give people some sort of certainty. Can you ever see it happening, though, to be honest? I think it would have to be something that the GAA pushed. I think then yeah. the government could probably follow. I mean, if the, the GAA in five, ten years is kind of seen that, you know, you just have the same big counties dominating everything, it might be, it might kind of make them, rather than going for the kind of more junior cups, they might kind of think, why don't we try out a, a season, hold on to the All-Ireland series, but try out a kind of a regional competition as well, kind of a type of a, a new type of railway cup and see if that works. And that might gain some uh, attraction. You know, people do change their, they, they can identify, change their identity quite quickly, actually, with sport. You, you can see for instance, you know, Munster Rugby has made people much more into being from Munster than they were, say, probably 30 years ago. And it's now something that a lot of people identify with. Uh, and, you know, I think I think any new competition that kind of excites people could be a catalyst for changing people's identity. True, well, it's a very interesting uh, topic, Owen, and thanks for joining us this morning. We'll await our listeners' views on this, but uh, good to chat. Thank you. Take care. That is Professor of Politics at DCU, Owen O'Malley. Court today on C103. As the sunny weather continues, some people suffer with hay fever and various allergies at this time of the year more than other times of the year. Well, pharmacist Raj Gosami from Lloyd's Pharmacy joins me to discuss. Good morning to you, Raj. Hey, good morning to you. How are you? I'm fine and thanks for joining us this morning. Um, Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. 
from ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. We always get a lot of calls around this time of the year from people and they're unsure if they have hay fever or if it's something else. So I suppose, first of all, just explain the symptoms of hay fever. Yeah, so um, like uh, unfortunately, I was working over the weekend, and I would say every every second uh, customer that we had into the store uh, was with hay fever related symptoms. So, um, hay fever being allergic rhinitis, so it commonly pre- will present as like runny nose, itchy eyes, congestion, uh, sneezing, sinus pressure, um, and maybe a bit of swelling underneath the eyes, and in general, tiredness or fatigue. Because quite often with those type of symptoms, the person's not going to be sleeping very well. So those would be probably the common um, signs to look out for in terms of hay fever. And this time of the year, due to grass cutting, tree pollen, it it is a time of the year where those who suffer from hay fever, they will uh, come up against it more so, won't they? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think uh, like this time of year is, is particularly bad for it. And especially with the good weather we've been having. Um, like I'd always recommend, you know, uh, like you mentioned grass cutting there, like I would always recommend to people, you know, prevention is better than cure in most instances. And like there are a number of preventative steps that can be taken to, you know, um, uh, avoid these symptoms from arising to begin with. Um, you know, things like, you know, if you like, um, I think Medarin produces, um, uh, daily pollen counts on a regular basis. Um, you know, people who suffer from hay fever, um, will be uh, best inclined to maybe check those counts um, on a regular enough basis just to maybe take uh, precautionary actions, you know, other practical steps, you know, keeping the windows closed at home, uh, a bit of Vaseline under the nostrils, um, uh, making sure not to hang your laundry outside, um, taking your daily antihistamine, um, you know, uh, a shower or a bath after you come home after a day out because, again, the pollen can stick to the clothing and the surface of your body as well. You know, those kind of practical steps are often very beneficial. And can air quality in towns and cities, can that also be a factor? Absolutely, yeah. So, like, um, again, it's um, hay fever is, the fir- the, uh, is another, another word for um, hay fever is allergic rhinitis. So, um, like it can, uh, if you have more than one trigger of those symptoms, so, so say for instance, uh, you know, if you like air pollution or let's say pet dander and the dust, you know, if you're doing a bit of house cleaning, um, in addition to that, you know, can also aggravate the symptoms. So say someone who suffers from hay fever uh, is obviously going to be affected by the pollen, but then if they're also sensitive to something else, you know, so like dust or pet dander and stuff, is only going to it kind of has an additive effect and you tend to suffer with the symptoms worse. And that's particularly, you know, bad for, say, someone who, who is asthmatic, say, for instance, um, like their symptoms can, you know, be, be worse, especially this time of year. 
Yeah, we know in certain areas of, of Cork there is areas where the air pollution is poor, a lot of it due to traffic, so it would make sense why some people suffer more than others uh, all year round, maybe due to that. And with those then that do suffer from hay fever and all those various allergies that you mentioned there, uh, what is the best way to treat those? I mean, is there products or medication available, first of all, for adults who want to relieve their symptoms? Yeah, absolutely. So, like, the cornerstone um, of uh, treating hay fever would come in the form of antihistamines. So, there are a wide range of antihistamines that are available. So, the most common ones would be um, probably Zyrtec, which is cetirizine, or loratadine, uh, which which comes in the form of um, uh, neoclaritin, are probably the most common. And they're one-a-day antihistamines that tend for most people not to cause drowsiness. And again, because they're one-a-day you know, it's, um, you know, so long as you remember to take that one tablet, it should cover you throughout the course of the day. Um, now, the only problem is, um, like, and we, we see this quite a lot in community pharmacy. So, like, you'd have people who come into you um, and, like, they've taken their antihistamine, but like, you can see they're in distress. You know, their eyes are watering and um, they're already nasally congested. You know, taking an antihistamine in that instance will help, but, uh, like, it won't treat the full complement of symptoms. So in those instances, say for an adult, like um, eye drops, you know, that are specifically for uh, like uh, probably a common one would be Opticrom would be good for especially itchy eyes Um, nasal sprays in the form of like steroid nasal sprays, which can reduce inflammation and um, uh, saline rinses or saline nasal sprays just to uh, clear any congestion can also be tremendously beneficial and can be used in adjunct uh, in addition to your daily antihistamine. And in relation then to people who are out and about, um, Liam says if he's working, he obviously works hands-on in a building site, he feels sometimes, while he doesn't seem to get hay fever, if he ends up maybe itching his nose or his face, he can come out in a type of allergy on his face, but it's only around this time of the year. Um, Is there anything like wipes or, or something that you can use on your hands? And is that common that even though you don't pick up hay fever the traditional way, that it can be on the skin or something like that, that he can get an allergy that way? Yeah, absolutely. So, like, what we commonly see is, like, um, so say someone who, uh, like, if they're, like, um, if they if someone who has kids or something like that, if they're out playing or if they have pets who are out when the pollen count is high, um, it will often, like, I would always recommend when those kids or the, 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 the pet comes home of, uh, uh, of the evening, just to give them a, a, a wipe down with a, a cool cloth, just to, a cool wet cloth, just to, um, remove any uh, pollen or any particles that might trigger symptoms in any for anyone in the household, um, and that 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 should be kind of common practice, especially this time of year. And for children, because I know you mentioned the various products there, can those products be used on kids, or would you recommend different items to be used? Uh, so for children, uh, most of the tablets um, that I mentioned are suitable for six years plus, but um, there are uh, obviously you know, you know, certain kids won't be able to swallow the tablets. So are, they are liquid forms, most of which are licensed for two years and up. Uh, and those, um, so, so Zyrtec liquid is probably the most common one that we've come across. And that can be very beneficial for them. Um, in terms of the nasal sprays, the saline nasal sprays are all okay for uh, uh, children. Um, and then there are other products such as like Beko Defense, which is like um, a preventative product. Basically, it forms a kind of a layer at the back of your nasal passage, which um, stops the, the allergen, say the pollen, 
from triggering uh, the allergic response. And that can be, you know, items like that can be very beneficial for them also. And Bernice is in the city centre now. She's asking for advice because she does suffer from hay fever, but she's looking to know, is there something you could recommend to take for all year round? Because it seems like what she thinks anyhow is that she has persistent hay fever. She's constantly blowing her nose and it never really stops. It's just dripping away the whole time is what she describes it as. Any advice for Bernice? Yeah, uh, so for someone who suffers all year round, um, like uh, your daily antihistamine is probably beneficial. So um, so something like uh, cetrine or loratadine will be one a day antihistamine. And, uh, uh, you know, especially if she's working again, those will be non-drowsy antihistamines typically um, will be good to take on a, on a daily enough basis um, would to help pre- prevent symptoms then. Um, you know, some people as well, we, we see this quite a lot. You know, so if someone comes in and they say, for instance, they, they've been taking antihistamine regularly, it, sometimes it can kind of stop working or the effects seem to uh, uh, not be as effective as previously. We'd often recommend you know, maybe switching antihistamine. It might be of benefit to you. Um, uh, just the one thing to look out for, there are there is another antihistamine called Puritan, which can be particularly good. Um, but uh, the one drawback of it, it does cause a little bit of drowsiness, but it might be beneficial for someone, uh, say that if they have trouble sl- sleeping because of their hay fever symptoms, and it, you can use that kind of side effect to your advantage to get a restful night's sleep. And again, this is why we see people coming in looking very tired and a bit run down because of their hay fever. It's because they're probably you know, not getting enough sleep because they're suffering through the night with their symptoms. And do we ever know why some people get hay fever and suffer from it really, really bad and then others never seem to get it? And it was always a myth uh, that used to come in from people who you say that maybe if you grew up in the country, you may not get hay fever because you, you were used to being out in the fields or being around it. But then I, I and we're aware of people who text in who were working farmers and they suffer also so from, from hay fever. So is there any any reason why some suffer so bad and some don't? Yeah, uh, there there are definitely uh, some factors. So, say we we see hay fever quite frequently in in, in people who say asthmatics would tend to suffer from hay fever um, more so than say someone who doesn't suffer from asthma. But again, it it depends on your factors and sometimes your environment. It can be a product of your environment, and it can be something if you have like family history of hay fever. Or something like that. it can be it can be a mixture of both your environment and uh, your maybe your family background as well. So. So um, it can be a factor of both things sometimes, you know. Uh, but like, because again, the pollen counts are so high, and because people um, um, are kind of out and about and enjoying the good weather, um, we are seeing just a big rise. And even people who who are not suffering from hay fever typically around this time of year, and given the weather that we're having, it just seems to be one of those things where more more people are suffering uh, nowadays. Well, for the moment, Raj, uh, good advice there and thanks for joining us this morning on the programme. No problem. Take care. That is Raj Grassami there from Lloyd's Pharmacy with some advice regarding if you are unfortunately suffering from hay fever or those allergies at the moment. Hopefully that was uh, helpful to you and best of luck with all those various products he mentioned there. Now, on the way, we've a lot more calls and comments in relation to, first of all, the in Garrettstown, a few calls in asking about the blue flag that was, that one, first of all, was not placed this year on Garrettstown Beach. That seemingly now has been changed. We'll hear more about that uh, 
after midday. But a lot of calls from people in relation to our conversation on redrawing our county boundaries in Ireland. We spoke with Professor Ona Madley from DCU on this and Michael who was listening to that conversation, says, uh, regarding what the professor says, yes, he is making sense, but dividing County Cork into different counties, where would the money come from to fund all of this? Look at the county and city hall, all the staff that are in there and in those departments. So if we, if we go ahead and if we replicate this in a couple of other new counties, who is going to pay for it? Use the existing system, but allocate money from central funds, depending on the geographic area and indeed the population much more cost effective and less costly uh, says Michael while Danny in Shannon agrees he says Cork is way too big as a county and it should be split up he feels West Cork should be an independent separate county away from the rest of Cork as it's just too large it makes no sense that if you drive three and a half hours you were still in the same county it happens nowhere else in Ireland so why should Cork suffer because of the size of its county uh, while Miriam uh, says she agrees in parts with what the professor is saying, it does make perfect sense. And she does feel that some of the counties up the country, as Miriam puts it, uh, they could be served with one county council rather than having each of their own. It would be more cost effective because why should a small county have their own county council uh, when they're only a fraction of the size of Cork's as Miriam? Uh, while John agrees with the professor and he feels they should be merging counties, it's a total waste of money. Some counties are just the size of North Cork but yet have their own council. If we had that here in Cork, I'm sure we'd have more money and we wouldn't have half the problems we already have. Uh, thanks for your calls and comments on should we redraw our county boundaries lines open you can get in contact with us via the C103 app if you don't have the C103 app you can download that now from the app store until 1 is JP with Cork Today and Bernie continues to take your calls and comments on 0818 103 103 you can text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103 and also on those numbers we're looking for your gardening questions as Peter Doddle the Irish gardener will be along after 12.30 with advice and answering all your questions this afternoon. A lot of calls and comments coming in to us. Uh, first of all, on our conversation on our county boundaries, do they need to be redrawn? And a lot of uh, comments in relation to the culling of our dairy herd, a proposal uh, that was uh, leaked and I suppose uh, printed yesterday, first of all, in the Farming Independent. But uh, what farming groups are worried over is that they are due to go in and meet the government on a food committee next month. And now they read this. It looks like to them that every Everything is a done deal uh, before they've ever met anybody in government or in those various committees. Anyhow, your calls and comments on that on the way shortly, but you'll be aware of a report uh, that was issued last week. And this is where Garrettstown Beach uh, lost their blue flag uh, due to recycling bins that were not provided at the beach. Did not realise that was part of the criteria for a blue flag, but obviously it is. Well, uh, while there was a lot of disappointment at that time, it seems to be good news this afternoon on that front. I'm joined by Councillor Alan Coleman. Good afternoon to you, Alan. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jean-Paul. So, uh, following the, the disappointment last week, has the blue flag made its way back to Garrettstown? It has indeed. It has indeed. Obviously, we were all shocked to find that Garrettstown, which was a regular, uh, regularly had a blue flag, lost its blue flag. Um, it's sister beach. Um, Gary Lucas maintained its blue flag. So, when we looked into it, um, everybody, of course, thinks blue flag beaches are associated with water quality. And thankfully, the water quality in Galveston is excellent and has been for a four-year period. And you need that to, to 
to get your blue flag. But there are actually 33 criteria for a blue flag beach, believe it or not. And there's a guidebook uh, that goes up to about 47 pages. So there's, there's a lot involved in a blue flag. And it appears where Galveston fell foul this year was that it didn't have a formal recycling centre. I don't know whether that's a new criteria or what, but anyway, it's a criteria now. And um, that was the reason that um, the judging committee recommended that Galveston would not get a blue flag beach this time. So uh, we kind of sprung into action. The local municipal district officers and the members of the councils and the public were very concerned about this. And um, we have a recycling centre in Gary Lucas, which is, as anyone would know, the area is very close to Galveston. And there are two car parks in Gary Lucas, um, and one of them, which is the closest to Gallistown, um we proposed that we'd move our recycling centre to that car park so that one recycling centre would service the two beaches because, look, as a municipal district, we get requests from most communities would love to want recycling facilities. We just can't put them everywhere. And it would be a bit ridiculous to have two of them and two beaches, which are effectively sister beaches quite close to each other. And um, the, rather than the cost and the kind of ridiculous situation of having two of them there, we, we proposed at our last meeting that we'd um, move one, make this offer to Antashka, that we'd move, move the recycling so that one would service both beaches. And our municipal district officer, Brian Dunn, wrote to Antashka saying we were willing to do this. And uh, in fairness, my colleague, my erstwhile colleague, Councillor Kevin Murphy, he um, actually contacted Antashka directly and got to speak to um, this Mr. Diamond, Ian Diamond, who chairs that uh, the judging panel. And, you know, they, they saw the sense of what we were proposing. But um, interestingly, while they were happy with it, they, they had to run it past their, um, I think, the parent body, which is in Copenhagen. And um, the good news came through yesterday that um, Galveston was, was, was included. Actually, yesterday morning, we had, a, we had, a, we had an event in, in Acton's Hotel in Kinsale where all of the blue flag <coughs> and green flag recipients um, were, were present. There were 20, I think 27 flags given out, two of them to marinas. Ten of them were, were blue flags and um, the rest of them were green coast flags. It's a pity we didn't have Galveston in place for that, but it was, it was it's nice to recognise that so many beaches in, in, in Cork have blue flags and green flags, and um, it's good now that Galveston is, is after joining the list. Yeah, and it's great that it has been reinstated and that they can reinstate it, because I always presumed if you lost your blue flag, that was it until the, the following year. I, I haven't heard of it being midterm, let's say, uh, being reinstated. So it's it's good it's back, and it's good for tourism as well, Adam, which well, is going. exactly green midterm, the, the, the season starts for blue flags on the 1st of June. If we went beyond today, we wouldn't get it back. Oh, so you were just in the time frame for, for, for the full year ahead. Absolutely. It was, it was last minute.com stuff. Yeah, well, again, it's it's good that the recycling bins now service both beaches and they were happy with that. And those type of flags and those type of recognitions, they are important for tourism, Alan, because we have seen, I mean, I was in Baltimore and Glandora last week. You can see a lot more tourists now in and around the area of West Cork. And having this acknowledgement, it does encourage people to stay in the area and visit those type of beaches. 
Oh, absolutely. I mean, this is an internationally recognised eco eco sign, you know. Mm-hmm. So, so someone that doesn't speak the language, you know, just once they see there's a blue flag, they know they can expect they will get good quality waters and a well serviced beach. And um, the council have fought the lifeguards as well on duty for the summer, so you know they know they have lifeguards. They have they have all the type of facilities that someone would expect at, at a good uh, at a good beach. So. It's it's as I say it speaks a universal language, so it's very important to have it. And and um, the green coast coast um, flags are for quieter beaches, which wouldn't have all the backup facilities. But the one thing you're guaranteed with a green flag is the water quality quality is excellent. And actually, water quality testing began in mid in mid May for this season. I was well, you know, because it's an ongoing thing. But definitely for tourism, it's very important. It's internationally internationally recognised, and um, it would be really devastating for the for the local people involved in the tourism business and the local communities because it's not just the councils that maintain our beaches, as you know, John Paul. There, there are community groups right along the coast that are involved in. Um, constantly working with the council and cleanups and everything like that and it was a huge um it, it was a big hit to, to the local community group there to find that you know they lost their blue flag almost inadvertently but as we say we, we got it back in the last minute anyway well at least it's back some good news on this sunny afternoon and i'm sure it is very sunny over uh, garristown and gary lucas uh alan thanks for joining us this morning or this afternoon even with that update yeah. Thank you very much. Take care. That is uh, Councillor Alan Coleman. So good news there. Uh, Garrettstown, the blue flag reinstated. Uh, Hi to Dan, who's on text and he's asking us, uh, did we or did he even happen to uh, come across a world record yesterday because he paid €9.48 for 24 soluble Panadol Extra and he thought they were about €7. Well, Dan, maybe you did, but they uh, we just did a quick check there online in various supermarkets and they do differ from one supermarket to the next. Some pharmacies and supermarkets are charging seven euros. Others are charging eight euros. So like everything, Dan, shop around is the answer to that. The price does differ to where you go. On the county boundaries, as we mentioned, a lot of calls before midday on this. Uh, one man from North Cork says, leave the county boundary, the county bounds the way they are. Uh, leave it as it is. While Jessica Inglamire uh, says the county boundaries do need to change. Boundaries that were in existence for thousands and thousands of years are not relevant anymore. We need to change the way we think when it comes to local authorities. Having five or six in small counties makes no sense. And is it the larger counties then? like maybe Cork or Donegal and others are losing out. Also, look at Dublin. Uh, surely having four councils in Dublin is a waste of money uh, considering now it's more or less all the one, uh, says Jessica in Glanmire. And a huge uh, reaction to the idea uh, that up to 65,000 dairy cows may have to be culled each year for three years if climate targets for the farming sector is to be met. Uh, on this, Bill is in Clonakilty and he says in 2013, Simon Coveney, who at the time was the Minister for Agriculture, uh, he was was talking about a quota ban that was being lifted at that time and he told farmers to expand as he had organised milk powder to go to China. The deal never went through and now we have farmers who expanded on his advice. They're being asked now to cull their herd, uh, says Bill. While Dennis is in Cassett Magner, 
Uh, Dennis is a dairy farmer. He's at this for 60 years and he says a lot of farmers are over 70 now and would be glad to cull their herd as they need to retire. But it is a disgrace with all the planes flying all over Europe. Uh, there is no talk of culling them, but there is on the dairy sector. Uh, Michael in Castletown Bear says, JP, have you ever heard of insanity gone mad? Well, you have heard it now. Uh, the culling are daring herd. That fits that bracket 100% says Michael. My God, JP, we are an agricultural country and the cow was ever its backbone. The population of our country over the years were reared on the milk straight from the cow and it kept the majority of people alive in this country when they had nothing else to eat. So will the people of this country just wake up and stop this madness in time before we end up in tears? I could give an hour, says Michael, speaking to you on all other simple ways to reduce carbon, says Michael O'Sullivan on WhatsApp from Castletown Bear and staying with this topic uh, Hi John Paul on the farmers and all of this talk about the cull we had plenty of rules uh, from Minister Coveney back when he was Agri-Minister but all those rules were broken down through the years now we are left with a two-tiered system for all the big farmers and this is a discrimination to the stand-alone family farmers in this country uh, somebody else saying JP cull cows you will have less meat and less milk people will be hungry because of less cows People will be short food and farmers are the backbone of our country here in Ireland. Farmers provide milk, they provide food. So without the farmers and indeed without the fishing community, well, we simply, all of us will be hungry. Uh, says a person on text while Marie is in Buttevant and she says Ireland has top class milk and top class beef, a highly regulated agricultural industry producing top quality products. So uh, Marie says, are we going to get rid of this and import? inferior products from other countries. Our government are a pack of yes-men, says Marie, at the amount of people that are employed in agricultural and indeed in this industry that are fed off agriculture. Are they going to be put back on the dole queue? Do they really think before they make decisions? We had four sugar factories in Ireland. Now, where are they? Well, yeah, they're all gone. Uh, was Ireland not going to need any sugar in the future? What do we do? We just gave our countries the and other countries our sugar producing jobs. So they need to learn from their past mistakes. A very good point from Marie uh, texting us from Buttevant. And Heidi uh, says it's not the cows or anything to do with net zero climate change or climate emissions. She feels that the whole talk of climate, it's a load of rubbish and people People need to speak up and wake up and see what's happening. She feels the Greens are sending us back to the dark ages. And she says, JP, it is more likely to be people need to be aware of a meteor hitting Earth because NASA is always watching for those uh, rather than worrying about climate change. That's Heidi's view on WhatsApp. And somebody else on text on this says we will have nothing left in Ireland. Everything is about change. It's such a crazy idea. Leave well alone. And on the county situation, tying that in with the farming, we are identify as Cork nothing else it's a disgrace to even think this could be even considered stop changing everything uh, with Ireland uh, says a person on a text to 0862103103 WhatsApp on the same number or you can contact us via the C103 app now on the debt of Parky Cueve and this is being reported this morning on our news as well well John in the city 
on this uh, 30 million debt it seems on Parky Cueve uh, and this is because there is no gigs this year so uh, Croke Park's one year loan holiday is being given to Cork GEA regarding the debt on the stadium and on that John is saying well uh, the GEA even though they have no concerts this year to make extra money to pay and reduce this debt and because they've been given this reprieve now from Croke Park for one year uh, John's idea is they should push a roof over Parky Cueve and turn it into a conference centre that is badly needed so then the whole city can use it and Parky Cueve uh, could become the new conference centre uh, maybe while they wait for the actual conference centre to be built we heard uh, the mayor of Cork on the news there Deirdre Ford regarding why we need to fast track the conference centre in the city as other cities are catching up with Cork so with this idea from John uh, would this work in the meantime no the cost of putting a roof on Parky Cueve that could away the benefits but uh, could it be something to look at and then this would also help Parky Cueve with their debt thank you John for your call and if you've been using on post lately Ellen is in Connor and Ellen posted a first Holy Communion card in Middleton to go to Connor now she had money in this card but the trouble is the card never arrived to the person it was supposed to arrive to now does anybody else have any problems like this regarding on post uh, as Ellen in Connor has now a lot of people will always say when it comes to money and posting you should never put money in a card uh, because that can happen from time to time but has anybody else had this problem like Ellen Ellen has in Connor and we'll be discussing the situation in Charnival very shortly and this is regarding a meeting being held tonight and this is to do with the increase in heavy good vehicles which are travelling through the town and because of what has happened recently with tragedies and the recent deaths a texter here is saying as you're going to deal with that subject I was driving through uh, the town of Charnival last week says this person on text and people are crossing the road and could not be bothered to cross at the lights they're just walking out in front of cars would you not think that learns that lessons would have been learned from what has happened over the last month uh, says a person on text we'll discuss that next The C103 Cork Diary With Cork County Council where communities and businesses all across the county can get the support they need at corkcoco.ie St. Coleman's National School in Clark they're celebrating 50 years at this Friday and there will be a walk on the day from the old boys and girls school sites in the village to the new school. Now the original builders of that school are even going to come back to celebrate the occasion. There'll be past pupils, teachers, past and present, community members, everybody is invited. The walk will start at 9.30am and teas and coffees will be served after. And there'll be a coffee morning going ahead in Ballantotus Community Hall this Friday from 10am to 12 noon and this is an aid on of four-year-old Ava Quinn who is undergoing treatment in Crumlin Children's Hospital for a rare type of brain tumour. And Banangiri National School well, they will celebrate their 125th year anniversary and this is going ahead on June 18th. The celebrations will begin with a mass in Banangiri Church at three o'clock followed by a reception to include music, entertainment and trips down memory lane in the school itself. It's all going ahead at three o'clock on June 18th in Banangiri agree. And if you have an event you wish to advertise in the Cork Diary, you can email diary at c103.ie Email Patricia now with your story or comment Cork today at c103.ie 
Cork Today on C103. The Irish gardener Peter Dowdall will join us shortly. You can get your questions into us via the C103 app. And for Ellen Incona, who was posting a letter, uh, somebody else posted a letter in Bandon last Monday. Uh, they were posting it. It was heading to Demanway, but it took until Thursday to get to Demanway. So a four-day uh, post turnaround there for those who are posting. And on the county boundaries and what changes that could happen, well, somebody listening in Leash uh, was uh, in contact with us on WhatsApp and says, Hi, John Paul, as Leash is a small county, we would be happy to take some of Cork if you are making changes to county boundaries. Just allocate the towns or villages in which your best GAA players live to Leash, uh, giving them a Leash posted address and we will be willing to annex them here. We have only one one All-Ireland and that was at the start of the last century, so we are prepared to try anything. Many thanks in advance and we may see you in Crow Park. So, <laughs> hello to that person tuned to us in Leash and wants us to change the county boundaries in Ireland. Uh, some of our best uh, players uh, going from a Cork to Leash, perhaps. Uh, thank you for your WhatsApp. And hi to Jim on the debt uh, that is hanging over Parky Cueve and he says well uh, the Parky Cueve didn't get the Munster Hurling final this year either and that would have brought in a lot of money to pay off the debt uh, but hopefully the Cork football team will get good support in Parky Cueve on this coming Saturday for the visit of Kerry uh, hopefully that will boost uh, Parky Cueve and the money they need says Jim on WhatsApp to 0862103103 now a public meeting will take place this evening uh, to discuss the situation regarding the past of heavy good vehicles through the town of Charnival. And Evelyn O'Keefe is chair of the Charnival Community Forum and rejoins me this afternoon. Good afternoon to you, Evelyn. Good afternoon, John Paul, and thanks for having us on again. And thanks for joining us. And we have spoken following the uh, tragic uh, accidents that have happened over the last while in Charnival. Uh, two people dying as a result of recent collisions in the town. And it's led to renewed calls for urgent road safety measures to be put in place. The last time we spoke to you, uh, to business owners and indeed to councillors, one of the issues at that time was if speed camming measures could be introduced. Now, any update on this? Because uh, there's a bit of back and forth between who's responsible for the main street some say the TII uh, and some say the council yeah that's exactly we'll say what we've been doing um, in the last month we'll say when the seven person um, passed away unfortunately we've had uh, a person die in between um, since we called the meeting and like that's exactly what the meeting was for it was to set up to figure out who's responsible and why it hasn't anything been done because these issues were flagged back in 2005 and even in 2019, we have the TII writing a report of safety analysis and they identify a high collision location and that's forward to Cork County Council. But that report just sits on Cork County Council um, shelf somewhere and nothing was implemented. And again, when we'll say on the 15th of May, there was a council meeting and there was a motion put forward. And the motion that was put forward was a motion to write a letter to the TII. And since then, we've already had a letter from the TII and the TII are saying it's Cork County Council that was responsible and that they never had a feasibility study for this part of the N20 or an options proposal from Cork County Council. So we are really getting two different, um, completely um, stories. One is saying it's Cork County Council. They need to reinvent their money for Charleville and um, for the Main Street, which they haven't. But the, uh, and the Cork County Council are saying they'll write letters to the TII. So it's one 
government department more or less I know they're a local authority but one more or less yeah. government department writing to another government department and both blaming each other it's like what we hear from time to time when we're dealing with uh, child services and you go to the Department of Health who says the HSC the HSC says the Department of Health you're back and forth it's similar to that now I did email the Cork County Council yesterday I'm still awaiting a response to ask them who is responsible is it the council or is it the TII because in the past when we have dealt with these situations and if it's a main road going through a town or village it is usually the TII is responsible so the TII are saying it's the council it's getting more and more confusing by the day but somebody needs to do something because you need proper calming measures for both pedestrians and indeed drivers because evident in fairness truck drivers they have no other choice but to go through Charnival there's no way if you're going from Cork to Limerick yeah, exactly. And the thing is about the HGV drivers, we were speaking to them in the last few weeks and like they're saying because there's such a stream of HGVs coming in, they actually can't see pedestrian lights. There's a pedestrian light at the Super Value Junction that goes across from those stores. And they said when you're coming from the Cork side, if there's a HGV in front of you and HGV coming from you, the actual HGV drivers can't see the traffic light at all. And that's what's causing them to drive through the traffic lights as well. And like we weren't aware of that till they, you know, till we actually spoke to them. And they were, you know, saying their point of view on the travel. And they said because of the stream of HGV they're coming through, them themselves can't see, you know, signage. They don't know when they're coming up to pedestrian crossings. Yes, HGV drivers that are regular coming through travel, they're aware of all of these, you know, where the traffic lights are, where people are likely to come out in front of them. But with the, we have an awful lot of traffic coming out from Cork Port and they increased their traffic 30% last year coming out of Corkport. So we have gotten a 30% increase here in Charvel. And you can see that by the deaths. And the deaths are getting closer and closer. And when we organised the meeting, we had um, uh, say a person that's involved in the, responding to these incidents and they told us the maximum we would have would be 12 months before we'd have another one. But lo and behold, we didn't even have 12 months. We didn't even have a month. And there is an urgency, but there doesn't seem to be an urgency, whether it be the TII or the local... Um, County Council that we haven't even a sign put up warning um, pedestrians at the moment that this is a high incident area you know don't cross and people cross the street in every town in Ireland but not a town in Ireland has the death rate that we have for pedestrians you have to you know acknowledge the fact yes pedestrians will cross in towns and they do and we do know when you cross the road you are taking a risk but if you increase the amount of HVs coming through a town you increase the risk and I think that's it too people don't realise the travel isn't like other towns and that when you do cross the road in Charvel you have a way higher risk than you would have in Mallow or Clonakilty or Middleton Yeah and I've had a lot of texts Evelyn that have come in in the last while when I mentioned we were discussing this from people who and this is no disrespect to anything that has happened in the last while uh, but they feel that people need to stop blaming the traffic in Charnival for deaths this is one person on WhatsApp and says take personal responsibility when crossing the road they also see this happening in Mitchellstown people won't use the pedestrian crossing or using the automatic traffic lights to stop the traffic coming out of various businesses and they walk straight out onto on coming traffic and they've seen this in both Mitchellstown and Charnival. I mean is there more awareness for pedestrians as well as you mentioned that that signage needs to go up maybe? Well, definitely, we'll say in the short term, obviously, because we can't get a relief mm-hmm. or a bypass. Um, you know, short term, there should be signage say, warning people of what has happened. Because if you, we, we were there this morning, we were filming for um, um, news and um, bulletins, mm-hmm. and 
there is no sign. You would think nothing has happened. So if you're just passing through Charleville and you just pop out of your car, you cross the road because there's a bank across the way. So you're just going to pop out and walk across the road. You've no understanding or you've no idea what has happened here in Charleville. And I, I was um, walking down the street during the week and a lady screamed at another person that was crossing the road um, to stop. You know, and to have this kind of carry on in the town, it's awful. And it's, it shouldn't be like that. It's a town centre. It's supposed to be about people. You know, but now we have people walking up and down the street that are terrified watching other people crossing the road and it's it's just chaos and anxiety and fear now and like we need action we've been talking about this for 20 years we have so many reports on it and like when the TI writes the Car Count Council and send them the safety analysis four years ago and they identified the very spot where we lost the last two people and nothing was done somebody has to be responsible and somebody has to say something has to be done doing nothing is not an option anymore No you're right and I think that one of the options here is to to ask who's responsible either the TII or council to get the work done and start it soon because you don't want to be in another situation where unfortunately we're reporting another tragedy in Charnival the meetings this evening um, this part of the meeting I suppose will be to see what you can what can be done on the main street to remove any threat to pedestrians there it's at half past seven Evelyn isn't it at the Charnival Park Hotel yes Yes, and the goal is really to stop future death. So that's what it is. So we're trying to be positive, we're trying to be proactive, and we're trying to identify what can be done in the short term, medium, and long term. And like that, we want the whole community behind us. And like we know we will have to compromise, you know, between the business community and the community and the council and the TEI. But, you know, doing nothing no longer is an option, that we need to come together and we need to bash this out and get it done. So basically, giving us all a voice at the table instead of just one or two people and nothing getting done at all. Well, we'll see what happens after tonight, Evelyn, for Thank the moment. Best of luck. Great coverage, Thanks a million. Okay. Thank you, Evelyn O'Keefe there, who's chair of the Charnival Community Forum. Dan is in Kerry. He said he passed through Charnival yesterday and within five metres of the pedestrian crossing near the church, a man was trying to cross two lanes of traffic and was not using the pedestrian crossing. Uh, pure madness, says Dan. And I'm sure if anything would have happened, they would have blamed the motorist if that person was knocked down, says Dan in Kerry on text to 0862103103. And for the person who was on to us from Leash, who be happy for the county boundaries to change and he's happy to take the best footballers or hurlers from Cork towns and villages and transfer them to Leash if they were to change the county boundaries across Ireland while Coleman on Texas tell that man from Leash or that woman from Leash that Cork had not won an All-Ireland for 18 years so there you go Cork today on C103 and on those crossing roads in busy towns and we were speaking there about Charnival before the break Lizard and Barry Claw and she says JP it's called jaywalking in New York if you don't cross in the pedestrian walk there is a big fine I know it's the same in different places people should and have to cross at the pedestrian walk says Liz in Barry Claw yeah I know I think it's Munich I was in uh, one time and if you don't cross like that in New York in the pedestrian crossing yeah you you can be uh, fined in Munich I'm not sure about New York I've been there but I've I don't know, I presume I did cross at the pedestrian crossing, but I haven't heard of it happening there. But I have heard people being fined in Munich in Germany for not crossing at the pedestrian crossing. But thank you for your WhatsApp, Liz. Let's go gardening and join Peter Dowdle, theirishgardener.com. Peter, good afternoon to you. John Paul, good afternoon. How are you? I'm fine and you're fresh from the uh, Cork Race Course in Mallow after a fantastic weekend with the Mallow Home and Gardens Festival. Huge crowds, but the weather really made it. Oh, I, th- I, I said when I was up there, and I'd say it again, I don't think it ever rains in Mallow, does it? <laughs> oh, it does, believe me. 
<laughs> no, it was fabulous weather. Uh, it certainly doesn't. It certainly hasn't. Doesn't seem to have rained uh, for many years at the Mallow Garden Festival. The weather always seems to be good, whatever is going on. But it was a fabulous festival once more. Very well supported by both both um, the industry and and visitors. A fabulous show. And the permanent gardens, they make a huge difference because obviously that they're all year round and you can see them maturing every year and they really stand out. Maybe also stand out from other festivals. They do. They, 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 you, you, with the permanent gardens, you get to see how things will look in kind of 10 and 20 years time as opposed to just being made to look fantastic for the weekend, uh, which is great because that's something you don't get at the other shows. But you know what really for me is beginning to make it stand out from the other festivals is the depth of plants that are available. And what I mean by that is you, like there are so many specialist plant nurseries in Ireland and these John Paul like these are nurseries that are run by one and two people anoraks like myself you know who are really into their plants and they don't have retail outlets so it's that shows that they 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 exist if you like that's their route to market but it's also it's as gardeners this is where we can now get those plants that are a bit different because you know the world of garden centers and that has changed so much you know you 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 have less of the unusual stuff available in, in garden centres, so it's 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 really at the the these plant shows that you get to see the the, the more unusual stuff. And Mallow is is kind of at this stage it's head and shoulders above the rest in terms of the 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 amount of of uh, specialist plant retailers that are there. These are people like many, some of them who have you know medals from uh, from Chelsea and and some of the other shows that you wouldn't get next or near them at the bigger shows. But at Mallow, you can actually go and speak to them, so you're getting advice on the plants from the from the people who grew the plants. So that point of view from the actual horticulture point of view I think it's really really developing Yeah more of a community feel there Right a lot of questions in Peter let's get straight to them and we sent you a picture there in the last half an hour and this is from Mary in Clonakilty and she wants to know about her Clematis Montana possibly 8 to 10 years old now it's uh, very very few flowers this year says Mary a lot of bare stems and a lot of dead stems now she has never pruned it so what can she do? I had a look at it, John Paul. Yeah, and there is quite a lot of dead wood on it. Uh, I'd say it'll benefit no no harm at all from a, a a good pruning. And I don't just mean a gentle haircut. I mean give it a good hard pruning. Time to do it is after flowering, which will be only in a few weeks' time now. So cut it back quite hard. Like you you kind of can't go too hard in it. So err on the 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 side of going too hard as opposed to too soft because this time of the year there's such a an established root system on that plant it'll still be taking up all the magic and the energy from the soil but it'll it'll go into fresh new growth so i i think that is what you need to do give it a good hard pruning i don't think it needs much more i'd say it'll come good after that and margaret's in dunmanway now margaret has a lilac tree which has bloomed for the past 20 years but this year it has not flowers and the bark looks dead she wants to know is there a disease that's affecting lilacs and there's been no weed killer used nearby this lilac well, there isn't specifically a disease. Um, well, there, sorry, there possibly is a, a, a disease that is specific to lilacs, but not that I've heard, not that I'm hearing about at the moment. It's not something that's quite common at the moment. So, when she says it hasn't flowered and the bark looks dead, I wonder does she also mean that it hasn't come into leaf? Because lilacs, I mean, obviously they 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 should be in full leaf by now. Uh, if it hasn't flowered, that that could be several things. But if it hasn't come into leaf, then yes, it does sound like it's dead, which could be a, a fungal. There are fungal infections which will affect lilac, not necessarily specific to it, but there are fu- some fungal infections that will affect it. I would say if it's not in leaf, then it's bad news. If it's not in flower, it could be several things. It could actually just be taking a year off. They do that from time to time, particularly if they flower particularly well last year. Uh, another question I would ask is if she pruned it, 
they don't respond well to pr- sorry they, it's not that they don't respond well to pruning they're they're fine after pruning but uh, uh, after you've pruned lilac it leads to much more leafy growth and no flowers so uh, uh, for a few years so it could well be that um if it's if it's a case of there's some dead wood in it and there's some green, I would look at pruning out the dead wood. Uh, but if it's just a question of it hasn't flowered but it's in full leaf, I wouldn't be too worried about it. And Dennis is a mallow peacher. Dennis planted his buds on St Patrick's Day. What can he or when can he expect them to flower? Because they have not done so as yet. Did you say bulbs or spuds? Spuds. Spuds on St. Patrick's Day he spuds, planted sorry. them. Yeah. Well, it, it, depends, it depends which ones he planted. So if they were first earlys, second earlys are, are the main crops. So it does depend really on which ones he's planted. So if they were the first earlys, your, your likes of Home Guard and things like that, or your second earlys like British Queen, they'll all be ready to go soon enough, relatively soon, certainly over the next few weeks. Uh, if it's your main crops, um, then, you know, your, your old potatoes, if you like, then they won't be ready for another couple of months yet. It'll be more July, August, even into September when you'll be harvesting them. But your first and second earlies you'd expect to be harvesting over the next three to four weeks. And Tess is in Kenturk. Her rhubarb did not produce any usable stems this year. Now, she planted it in a large container uh, with well-rotted manure. So what else can she do? They they are hungry feeders. Rhubarb does like to be well fed. Now, well rotted manure is perfect for it. I'm wondering was this its first year in the container, or has it been there for a couple of years? Whether of which I think I'd look at growing rhubarb more in the open ground than in the container, where its roots have room to spread, uh, and it can really take up all that magic from the soil. Uh, well rotted manure, seaweed, that any kind of organic material like that applied to it during the winter uh, will drive it on. As well as that, if it's in a container, I know you, you'll laugh at me when I say this, considering the amount of rain we had in the spring, but sometimes when plants are in a container, they're not getting as much water as what they should. They might be sheltered by the eaves of the house or something like that, or wherever you've positioned it. The it, Water is another thing. They do like to be well watered uh, early in the spring, or sorry, spring and early in the summer uh, to produce those fleshy, thick stems that we want for eating. So... I, I, I'm going to suggest maybe taking it out of the container that it's in and planting it in open ground and see if that makes a difference for next year. And Mary has a purple indoor lily with two years. Now, it never had flowers, only plenty leaves. So what can she do to get some flowers on her purple indoor lily? I don't know which plant it is, unfortunately, purple indoor. I wonder, is it actual, uh, the actual lilium, which is a bulb which dies back for the, for the winter and then comes on? But they would be more outdoor than indoor. So if, if it's that, I'd be very surprised. In fact, I would say it's probably not that because if it's, fl- if it's producing a stem, it will flower. So I just maybe she'd send a picture into us so we can identify exactly which plant it is because... Purple indoor lily kind of could cover a multitude of plants, you know, with a common name. So yeah. if she sends in a picture, I'll have a look at it and try and answer that for next week, maybe. Okay, Mary, send that in to us on WhatsApp and we'll look at it and, and get to that next week on the show. And uh, finally here, uh, somebody on WhatsApp asking two questions for you, Peter. First of all, is it too late to move a small miniature hydrangea that has no flowers on it yet? Yes, for, yes, absolutely. It's too late to move anything. We're thankfully enjoying a glorious spell of weather. It's looking at my thermometer here is 24 degrees at the moment. So it really is lovely, sunny weather. But that means it's time for us to enjoy the garden. But don't dream of taking anything out of the soil. If you lift anything out of the soil at this time of the year, it's just not going to survive. It's going to die. So you can move a hydrangea quite successfully, but wait till the winter months from kind of November to February is your window there. And also, do bamboo grow deep roots? Because this person has them, and is it bad to have the bamboo up against the wall of a house? 
I would say, I'm going to say yes to that. It is not a great idea. Bam- the bamboo root system is very, very vigorous. It will go down from memory. I could be, I could be um, uh, corrected on this, but from memory, it's about 24 inches the root system goes, maybe even 30 inches. So, but it's not, it's not desperately deep, but it's deep enough at the same time. That's two to three feet. But they travel. They go in search of water and they go spreading, uh, depending on which bamboo it is. If it's one of the philostacus, uh, they, they spread. You can plant one next to the house and it can start popping up 10 and 15 feet away. Fargesias then are more of a clump forming. They don't spread 20 feet, but they form a decent-sized clump. But whether or which the root system is vigorous, it'll go in search of water. Don't want to frighten you by saying it'll undermine the foundation. That's unlikely. But if there's any any loose uh, blockwork or any loose concrete under the ground, it'll just get in there and disrupt it. The, you know, if there was any leaking water pipe, it could cause trouble. So not a good idea to plant it right next to the house, no. OK, Peter, we'll leave it there. Thanks for that. And we'll chat to you again uh, next Wednesday on the show. Look forward to it. Thanks, Take Shabba. care. Peter Dunall there, the Irish Gardener. You'll get more information on his Facebook or Instagram. Just search The Irish Gardener or indeed on his website at theirishgardener.com. So my thanks to Bernie Murphy who produced Patricia Messenger is back tomorrow morning again on Cork Today from 10am. Enjoy your sunny Wednesday. I'm John Paul McNamara. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc., 